Luke chapter 8. What's the context? Jesus is traveling and he's teaching. You can see it at the beginning of the chapter in verse 1, which we've looked at already. Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another. He's proclaiming and he is preaching the kingdom of God. And now here in verse 4, we're introduced to a particular type of teaching that Jesus used very often. Verse 4 says, there was a great multitude coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him. He spoke by way of a parable. So here we have Jesus preaching. We have Jesus evangelizing and we have Jesus speaking by way of a parable this is what it would have been like to follow Jesus it's certain that the crowds have come with various expectations having been attracted by various different things the gospel writers make clear that so often the drawing card was the supernatural Jesus had the power to work miracles, and that excited people, and word would spread, and so the crowds would come together. If you follow Jesus for several days, you might well either see or even perhaps be the recipient of a miracle. But if you followed him on any day, not just some days, you would certainly have the opportunity to hear him preach. He didn't come to work miracles. He came to preach. He came to teach. He came ultimately to be the living word who would sacrifice his own life for the salvation of his people. As you know, some of us spent this week at the Shepherds Conference in California, and there is a lot to draw a person to go there. There are the resources that they give to you. Um, I I go for the books, I could say. Uh, It's nice. Um, there's books given and books there to purchase. I could also say I go for the food. There is a lot of food. Uh, There is food before you start. There is food in the middle. There is food afterwards. There is always food. And then there are those volunteers, nearly a thousand this year. What a blessing to see that many individuals, members from a local church, take their week's vacation to serve The thousands of pastors who come to the Shepherds Conference each year. All of those things are there. All of them are attractive and in themselves are a sufficient draw, I suspect, for some to go. But the real anticipation throughout the day is the preaching. The teaching is what all of that is pointing to. And it is what dominates the conversation throughout the week in every corner. The Word of God is why the people are there. Every session is anticipated, and the truth, it engages us, it encourages us, it challenges us, it directs our lives, and in many ways, it will work throughout the following year to direct the ministry that we're engaged in. The Word of God does that, and that's how it would be to walk with Jesus. You would anticipate His teaching. I wonder what He will say. And now, what he will say will be by way of parable. 
Luke's already given us um, a snapshot of Jesus' teaching. He's given us really the heart of his ongoing message. He records his version of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. Matthew takes three chapters. Luke, just a, a chapter of that content. Luke refers to it as the sermon coming down the mountain, not the sermon up on the mountain, but it is the capture of the Lord's teaching. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was John's message, and we're told that was Jesus' message. But now, as you'll recall, as we stepped into chapter 8, it's a transition. He's moving away from Capernaum, but it's also a transition in his teaching. He has not up to this point taught in parables. Matthew makes that more clear than Luke does. Uh, This shows up in Matthew's chronology, not until chapter 13. In Matthew's gospel, only has 26 chapters. You're halfway into the gospel, and you've worked through uh, almost seven chapters of Matthew's record of Jesus' teaching before you ever get to a parable. Why? Why this seemingly different approach to teaching? What is Jesus' purpose in transitioning his style? Well, we're told. If you look at verse 10 there in in, uh, Luke 8, it's one of those verses that will really sting. You might call it one of those keep you up at night verses. Jesus said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables. So that, this is why I teach this way, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. You see, by now, after so much teaching and so much preaching, so much evangelizing, some, and only some, were beginning to believe. Some, and only some, were beginning to accept the good news of Jesus' message. Some, but only some, were beginning to follow closer. And others, well, not. Others were, in fact, moving the other way. They had heard enough. Oh, they keep coming, but they're not coming to hear what he has to say. Their hearts have now been hardened. They are already plotting their resistance to this man, Jesus. And so Jesus tells us that these parables begin to take the truth away from them. Begin to hide it from them even. Hide it from who? Those who have refused to see. Those who have refused to hear. This is the hardened heart now hardened. This is the hardened heart now separated from the truth. The kingdom of God is a privileged concept. The kingdom of God is a privileged community. And, it, and its truth are for those who desire to live there. Its truth is not for those who wish only to trample that kingdom, to oppose that kingdom, to ultimately kill the kingdom's king. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah when he says this about the seeing and the hearing, not seeing and hearing. You might flip over there. I think you can find it. Isaiah 
uh, chapter 6, just to give us the context of what Jesus is saying when he quotes Isaiah. Isaiah has just gotten his vision of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6 in the year that King Uzziah had died. This magnificent, um, glorious vision. And he receives the repentance that is offered by the grace of God. And then the Lord says in verse 8, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then Isaiah responds, Here am I. Send me. I'll be your message bearer. I will go. I will tell. And God said, verse 9, go and tell this people. Go do that. Go tell them this. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. What a strange message. You go and tell them this. Go give them a teaching that will confound them. Though, Go give them a teaching that will be obscured even from them. Why? Notice, keep on doing what you've been doing. Keep on looking the way you've been looking. Already they weren't listening. Already they weren't seeing. Verse 10, go and preach and by preaching render the hearts of this people insensitive. Their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Go and give them the teaching that renders them insensitive. The sun that shines both hardens and melts. In this case, let the light of the Word of God harden them. Their ears will become dull. Their eyes will become dim. They can't hear. They can't see. The teaching is there, but they're not getting it. That's what Jesus references back in our text in Luke 8. Because this is what's happening with Jesus. The crowds are growing. This crowd is massive. It's so large that Matthew and Mark tell us in their account of this very same teaching... That Jesus got into a boat and pushed off the shore a bit to both separate from the huge crowd, but, but to allow the water to be an amplifier so that everybody could hear it. That's how large the crowd is now. And it's now, with the largest crowd likely that he's had yet, he changes the way he teaches. And he'll teach in parables. Parable. We say that's a simple story with a profound meaning. Well, it is that. But it is also this. It is hidden truth. Hidden truth. So let's step into this story about the storytelling of Jesus. And let's see what we can learn. Verse 4. When a large crowd was coming together as those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. 
The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. Well, that is definitely a simple story. It's obviously a connection to the people that were listening to him. It would be easy for the listener to make this connection with a sower who goes out to sow. What did the sower sow? Seed. On what did the sower sow? Dirt. In fact, there are four kinds of dirt that the sower sowed his seed on. There was hard dirt, there was rocky dirt, there was weedy dirt, and there was good dirt. But in all cases, dirt. Your Bible might call this the parable of the sower, if you have a Bible with headings. Some pastors and commentators take great issue with that. They say it is the parable of the soils, it is the parable of the dirt. Others say, no, it's the parable of the seed. The seed is the main point. Well, you might be interested to know that Jesus actually titled this parable. And not here in Luke, but in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 18, Jesus said, Hear then the parable of the sower. So if you are anxious to give it a title, that should be the title. The the title is not necessarily the heart of the message. It's just obviously what this story is about because it begins well with a sower who is sowing seed. So you can hear this simple story, a sower, a farmer, and and you don't want to see him being a bad farmer. It's not like he's just willy-nilly tossing seed about. No, this is a farmer doing what a farmer does. It's called broadcast seeding. We still do that. I mean, the big farmers don't do that. They are putting this seed in the spot. But lots of farmers still do this. You do that in your yard. Most of you would. We broadcast seed our yard. We toss it about and it lands. And depending on how good you are, then it doesn't always land where you wanted it to land. But you toss it about and it lands. And, of course, you know by now, don't you, in Kentucky, it doesn't all come up. The reason it doesn't all come up is not the seed. And it isn't even the sower of the seed. You surely do a good job. I I would like to think you do a good job when you broadcast your seed. No, the reason it doesn't come up is the dirt. The reason it doesn't come up is the soil. Some parts of your yard are hard pan. That's what I call it. That's the places under the trees or the places where perhaps a path has been worn. The ground's really hard there. The dirt is there, but it's really hard. This farmer has dirt like that on the paths that he would use to cut through a field or that cut through various fields, the place where people walk, which becomes clear later. It's just a path. And if you throw seed on the path, it won't grow. It'll just lie there exposed on the path and become lunch for the birds. 
But some of it lands on different soil, and with days you find yourself rejoicing. You're just sure there was no grass there that morning when you left, and you come back, and suddenly there's grass there. But only a day or two later, it starts to wither, and it dies. Why? Well, it's the dirt. Uh, That seed was on rocky soil, or more literally, in Jesus' story, it was seed on a rock. And the rain came, or maybe you watered it, but the water just ran off. There was not enough soil to absorb the moisture. So then when the sun came out, those new little beautiful grasslings that you were so proud of, well, they just got hot, and the result, dead, dead grass. Matthew and Mark add in their account that That this is shallow soil, not enough soil before you hit rock. But yet there is still hope for some of your lawn. It's over there, you can see it, it's thick grass. May have to mow it tomorrow. But what are those flowers? No, wait, no, it's actually not a flower, it's a weed. The clover is blooming in my grass. The daffodils are taking over my grass. Maybe some thistles. I mean, this was dirt with great potential. This was seed and grass with great potential. But the weeds, the already hidden weed seeds that were already there, or maybe the airborne weed seeds that blow around our state, they're taking over my grass grass guess what they'll win and that grass will die well then there's only one section of your lawn that is left in most of our lawns it's a very small section it's where the good dirt was there's no weeds there are no rocks just beautiful grass It's growing, and we're praying it will spread. Or for the farmer in Jesus' story, it was a crop. In fact, Jesus says the farmer got a great return out of this soil. A hundredfold, that's huge. Matthew and Mark, again, is a little different. They say some 30, some 60, some 100. Interestingly, they reverse it. So one says 30, 60, 100. The other says 100, 60, 30. Luke just says 100. What's the point? Growth. Fruit. A harvest. No matter how you measure it. So that's the story. A sower, some seed, and some dirt. The question might be on the people's minds... What matters, or better, what matters most in this little simple story? But we're ahead of ourselves. We can't ask that really yet. We have to read on. It says, as he said these things, verse 8, latter part, he would call out. The word there in the Greek says, change the tenor of his voice. He had already moved out on the water so they could hear, but there are thousands. And as a preacher will do, sometimes you... 
You'll notice one nodding off here, perhaps, or one nodding off over there, perhaps, and he'll change the tenor of his voice. So as he was teaching, he changed the way he was talking. He perhaps elevated his voice. He called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples then began questioning him as to what this parable meant. What does it mean? We didn't seem to have a hard time hearing it, did we? We followed it. But if you followed it, and that was all you had, you are left with, so what does that mean? The disciples are having a hard time understanding. Oh, they understand sowers and seed and dirt. We've seen that. We've done that. In fact, many in the crowd walked past that even that morning. They could see a farmer doing this. But there's a part where you would say, is that all there is? I mean, I could have told that story. I didn't have to travel all the way to hear this guy. This is not at all what I expected was for him to get up and tell some obvious story. So the disciples are saying, surely there's more to this, right, Jesus? I heard what you said, but tell me what you mean. And that's it, isn't it? Yeah, they're right. It's the difference between hearing a thing and understanding what a thing means. That's always the difference. What does it say? And what does it mean? That's really important. It's pretty easy to understand what is said. That is, as long as the person speaking is speaking our language. It's pretty easy to hear what is said. But that's only the beginning. We need to know what it means. That's not so easy. We do this when we study our Bibles. You should do this when you study your Bible. The very first thing you do in studying your Bible is to try to understand what it says. I mean like words and sentences and paragraphs. What does it say? We study out of an English Bible. Most of you do. Most of you aren't reaching for your Greek New Testament or your Hebrew Old Testament. You have confidence in the translation that's in front of you written in English and the very first thing you, you should do, even in English, is ask yourself, what does it say? You need to understand grammar. You need to understand what a subject is and a verb is. You need to have comprehension of language in order to hear what a thing says. But the second thing you want to do when you study your Bible, having heard what it says, is ask the question, the The question, what does it mean? What is the truth that's being taught? What does it say? What does it mean? The disciples are interested in understanding what the story means. Tell us, Jesus, verse 9, what it meant. And that's when he said what we've already looked at. I'll tell you, but I won't tell the rest of them.
They want to know what it means. And Jesus wants them to know why they have to ask what it means. Because he hid it. He, he had purposefully obscured the meaning by the simplicity of the story. Unless you came to learn from me, all I have for you is a nice little story. But if you came to learn from me, I will tell you what that little story means. This is how Jesus uses parables. If you want to know, and the disciples do because they asked, then I'll speak great and wonderful things to you. But if you don't want to know, and most don't because they didn't ask, well, then I'll only speak to you in parables and you can go tell everyone that all I do is tell nice little stories. That's it. And you can see that. Luke shows us that right there in the text. Okay, so now we've asked with the disciples. Lord, tell us what it means. We, we want to ask with the disciples. Tell us what it means. Verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy and these have no firm root, they believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. The parable is this, Jesus says. This is the meaning. I'm not hiding anything anymore. And he says, the seed. Wait. You skipped a part, Jesus. I was listening. The story began with a sower. I want to know who the sower is before you get to the seed. Answer, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who the sower is. Or said another way, the sower can be anyone with the seed. Some would say that Jesus is the sower. And by that, well, of course, then the sower would have to be the most important thing of all in any story. Jesus, by the way, did call himself the sower. But that was in a different parable, which, of course, was meant to make another point. Matthew chapter 13, verse 37, he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. But that wasn't this parable. That was a different parable. The point of this parable is not the sower. Thus, the sower can be anyone. Or better, everyone who spreads the seed. Sowers who sow seed, okay? The seed, the seed is the word of God. Well, that has to be critical. I mean, this is a spiritual truth. It's about the kingdom of God. This has to be critical. The word, the word of God. The word of God is the source of any life that will appear. It's the source of any growth that will happen. 
It's the fruit produced. All of it comes from the seed, and the seed, Jesus tells us, is the Word of God. Would you have life? It comes from the Word of God. Would you grow? It comes from the Word of God. Would you produce fruit in your life? It comes from the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. But please listen. That isn't the point of this parable. It is critical I mean, without seed, you've got nothing, right? Without seed, there's nothing. Without seed, the story would go like this. The sower went out to the field to sow, but alas, he had no seed, the end. So we need seed, and we need to know what the seed is. The seed is the Word of God. And there is nothing in this story ever that indicates there's anything wrong with the seed Because, of course, there's nothing wrong with the Word of God. Jesus would have us know that however this thing turns out, you can't blame it on the seed. However this thing goes, by the end of the understanding of this little story, the seed wasn't the problem. The Word of God is never the problem. The seed was the Word of God. Okay, we have the sower, not acknowledged. Jesus, sure. Jesus spread the word of God, but only Jesus? No. Anyone who spreads the seed. What is the seed? The word of God. What do we have in the story? Sowers of truth. Spreaders of good news. Which brings us next to the dirt. To the soil. What is that? Well, Jesus makes it very clear to us. Look at verse 12 right in the middle The devil comes and takes away the word from their heart. Look at verse 15. These are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. The soil is the human heart. The soil, the dirt, is the heart of those who hear. And so what we have here is hard hearts. Shallow hearts, indulgent hearts, and fruitful hearts. Again, notice all of this is dirt. It's not the dirt. It's it's the condition of the dirt. They're all dirt. But it's the preparation of the dirt... So it's not really the heart because we all have one. It's the condition of the heart. It's the preparation of the heart. The first heart. Verse 12. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart. So that they will not believe and be saved. A hearing heart. But it's a hard heart. And it's easy prey. Easy prey for who? Well Luke says the devil. Matthew calls him the evil one. And Mark calls him Satan. So you can take the three accounts together. And it's pretty clear. A hard heart is easy prey for the devil. 
They will hear, but they will not believe. They will hear, but they will not be saved. What is it then that hardens a heart? Well, we don't have time this morning, but we know most of us. It's sin. Simple. Sin hardens the human heart. We could do a whole study on that, but you can do your own homework. Sin hardens the human heart. And Mark says, when that seed lands on a hard, sinful heart, immediately, Mark adds that word, immediately, Satan grabs up the seed. It's happening now. Right now. As the word is preached, immediately in some of you, it's snatched away. Why? Because your heart is hard. Pray that God would grant you softer soil. Pray that God would break your heart the way you have to break up hard pan if there's any chance of life. Second soil. Second heart. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. They hear it and excitement rushes in. Joy fills their heart, but there's no firm root. Notice, Luke says, they believe for a while. And then temptation shows up and they fall away. They believe for a while. Now, this is important. That's part of the problem with the hard heart. If you look again in verse 12, it says they will not believe and be saved. They hear hear and they believe but because there's no root they fall away lesson learned they were never saved they had the first part heard and believed but the temptation proved that they didn't have the second part they were never saved they only heard and believed the way demons hear and believe and when they hear and believe they're not saved by it they shudder Why? You say, well, the seed must be bad. Nope. We ruled that out already. Nothing wrong with the word. It's the power of God to salvation. It's the dirt. We need dirt. Nope. You have a heart. Unless, of course, you're the tin man. If I only had a heart. No, this is any man, any man or woman with a heart. The problem is what? The condition of the heart. Not believing so as to be saved. As Paul would say, ever hearing and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They spring up. They show up. And they're so excited. And then in just a few weeks or maybe a few months, they're nowhere to be found. 
John tells us about them. They went out from us, he says, because they were not of us. They were never saved. They were never truly alive. Okay, third heart. Verse 14. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Some have no life at all, the hard-hearted. Easy prey for the devil, immediately. By now, that's those of you who are sleeping. Some have signs of life. They're, they're alert, they're excited, they're joyful even. We, we see potential, but alas, a little heat of life and they're burned up. They're out of here. They're looking for somewhere else that will spark their interest. But here... These have heard, and as they go on their way, it's an indication of an expansion of time, an expansion even of purpose, as they live out their profession. They get choked. Look at what chokes them. It's not the sin that hardened the heart of the first hearers. It's not the son of a difficult day or a circumstance that proves them to have been shallow all along. No, this is worries. Worries of what? Matthew helps us here because Matthew says it this way, the worry of the world. The worry of the world. And here, Luke doesn't say it any less. It just The English says it a little different. The worries that come from the pursuit of riches and pleasures. That's how you should read that. You see, this is what they thought the seed was for. This is what they thought the Christian life was. This is the harvest they were looking for. Things. Isn't that what the Christian life is all about? What I get? I want this. But in the pursuit of the wrong things, they prove they lack the real thing. You get that, right? In the pursuit of the wrong things, that professing believer proves that they got the wrong thing. They lack the real thing. You see it in their worry of the world. You see it in their daily living, claiming to be Christians, but pursuing worldly pleasures and riches. And they think that's perfectly compatible, that that pursuit is, is honored even by God. And they fail to... To read this simple account of that kind of heart. Or they fail to read James' account. In James chapter 4 verse 4 which says. You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's clear isn't it? All you have to do is hear it. All of this story is clear so far, if you'll just hear it. None of these hearts, not the hard heart, not the shallow heart, not the tangled up heart, none of these are saved hearts. Given a little time, they'll show what they've been all along. 
They're fakes. They're pretenders. And we only have one heart left. Verse 15. But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. This, my friends, and only this, is the saved heart. This is the only heart that is saved. It's a heart broken, dirt softened, honest and good heart. A heart with integrity. Matthew and Mark both say it this way. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. That's Matthew. Mark says this is the one who hears the word and accepts it. There's comprehension and submission. But Luke gives the fullest picture of the three of them. To hear the truth of the gospel, to understand it, to accept it, and to hold it fast. I love that phrase. To hold it fast. To hold it close. The literal translation of that single Greek word, to hold as if to restrain. I will not let it go. It is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 3.14. We have become partakers of Christ if, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you are saved, watch, if. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The proof of the Christian life, the gospel life, is the holding on, the steadfast commitment to the word preached, the word believed, and the word accepted. Christians don't say this we have believed. Christians say this we believe. If your testimony always begins with nine years ago, 19 years ago, which is, by the way, a fine way to begin, but it is a horrible place to end. Look again at what Jesus says there in Luke. Hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. The heart that is saved, the heart that believes... Holds fast with integrity. It's an honest and a good heart. And it bears fruit and that fruit abides. This is not a one season fruit bearer. This is fruit in every season. Jesus says it this way in John 15 verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. That you would constantly and continually produce fruit. 
It's the abiding fruit of the saved heart. Well, that's the story. That's what it says. And that's what it means. But a good teacher of the Bible will also, will always, while working to tell you what it says and striving hard to tell you what it means, a good teacher will, in one way or another, press their listeners one step further. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean to you? What does this truth mean to you? I'm not suggesting there that it can mean something other than it means. But I am insisting that this meaning is for you. What does it mean to you? And given what it means, I think you can turn that into a different question. Which heart is your heart? Are you here this morning with a sin-hardened heart? Know this. God can break up the hardest heart. Ask Him. Ask Him. Are you here this morning with a shallow heart? Guess what? God can remove the rocks. He can deepen the soil. He can make you fertile. Ask Him. Are you here this morning with a worldly heart? I'm your pastor. This is the largest group here. Among those who are not believers. This is the one. I might say it this way. This is the professing American Christian's heart. Always trying to keep one foot in the truth and one foot in the world. One foot in the church and one foot in the world. Let me warn you something. So many of you. The truth of God and the things of the world are going in different directions. And if you keep standing that way, it's going to rip you apart. You can't straddle that. But you know what? God can grant you a passion for the truth. A passion for His church. A passion for the kingdom of God and an ever-loosening interest in the things of this world. Just ask Him. And if you are a believer, and I would say most of us are believers, if you've had a heart broken by God and tilled by the Spirit and are abiding in Christ and trusting that He'll continue to produce fruit in your life. Well, this story reminds you that that is owing only to God. 
So thank him. Thank him. Let the one who has ears to hear, hear. Father, truth, true truth, unvarnished, undiluted, simple truth. Have your way in our heart. May Christ be glorified in our lives. And all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilson of Grace Community Church in Bowling Green, Kentucky. We trust you've been encouraged and challenged by this message. If you would like to listen to more of Pastor Wilson's messages or obtain more information on the ministry of Grace Community Church, you can go to our website at gccbg.com. That's gccbg.com.